Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Happy opening day. Major League Baseball is back. It's going on all over the country. And a great start to the season for your New York Yankees. Just thinking out loud there. Wait, did I say that out loud? I did. Our, not your, our New York. It's all, they're all of our team. America's team. Oof. Or something like that. Hey, glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi online streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Everybody's here, and we have got a huge show for you this afternoon. I don't say that flippantly. We've got a lot to get to over the course of the next three hours. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you go to their website, you'll see that Mississippi Land Bank specializes in both financing and refinancing of land and all that goes with it. You'll also see that they've been in business for over 100 years financing land. And finally, you will see where their branch locations are. I drove past one of them today as I was coming into Starkville. Drove right past the uh, Mississippi Land Bank office. You can, uh, if, if you're in the area and you've got thoughts, you can stop by and see them on Highway 12 as you come into Starkville. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Ceasefire customer inspired. So glad to have the start of the Major League Baseball season here. It is the start of week three of the SEC season as Mississippi State is hosting LSU tonight at Duty Noble. So, boys, what's up? Borky, how are you? I am not going to be able to do this newfound baseball fandom if I'm going to have to hang on every pitch like Braves fans apparently hang on every pitch. If I have to do that, then I quit already. Wait, hold on. This was a limp thing for you. Well, I'm not Catholic, so... It's okay. Porky, say, oh, everyone overanalyzes opening day. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm saying people are, are just like fighting mad. It's like, don't you realize that after today, your team has 161 more tries at this. Like, whatever happens today is inconsequential. Uh, I guess that the Braves gave up, what was it, a, a leadoff home run to Andrew McCutcheon. And the reaction was, oh, no, here we go. It's like, guys, oh, my gosh, it's one at bat. I can't handle that. If that's what a baseball fan is, I quit. I'm done. You've seen that from college baseball fans, though. Much fewer games in college. I understand that. A third, give or take. Um, By the way, Julio Tehran making his sixth consecutive opening day start for the Atlanta Braves. I didn't realize that his fastball had gotten so meh. He was sitting 86 to 88 a year ago. Apparently, he's put on eight pounds of muscle in the offseason, 
and is now pitching at 91 to 92 with his fastball with hopes that the added muscle is going to allow him to maintain velocity. Rippy, that is what I learned listening to part of the Atlanta Braves pregame show when I could no longer take Susan Waldman on the Yankees radio network. Nice. Yeah. I, I got a little I got a little John Sterling, which you know, John Sterling is a character. But he's kind of like the Yankees character, and it would be hard to listen to 162 regular season Yankees broadcasts with him because you miss so much, because he just doesn't do a very good job describing the action. For example, uh, ground ball to third, fielded in foul territory, but a fair ball, long throw across, oh, it's not in time. And it gets by the first baseman, and it bounces off the wall, comes back into play there. Well, tough play. They're going to score that one a hit and then an error. And so it took me all the way until he mentions that there's an error for me to know that the guy actually went to second base on the ball that got by the first baseman. Please describe the action. It's a it's a, an audio medium, not a visual medium. You want him to stick to sports. No, I don't want, want it. No, 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 very, no. Not very, at all. Not at all. Narrow. I want him to be this big, flowy, loud character that he is. Mm-hmm. But describe the action for me, because I'm in Mississippi. I'm not in the Bronx. Right. So help me out just a little bit, John. And then there's Susan Waldman. My goodness, George Steinbrenner. Roger Clemens is in George Steinbrenner's box. Of all the dramatic things that I've at one point driving down the road today, trying to listen to the Yankees game, I yelled at my radio. Seriously, I looked at the radio, I went, Stop it! You're still, and, and it's, then, just, it's just opening day, you're going to have a heart attack by August. And then, I changed over to the Atlanta Braves pregame show. There you go. Ben Ingram's big, dulcet tones instead. And your team is winning today. Yeah, they are, 7-2. to Yankees up on uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, in the eighth inning. Baltimore's got a bunch of dudes you have never, ever in your life heard of before. That is probably accurate. Uh, Milwaukee up on St. Louis, 5-3 to three in the sixth. Braves and the Phillies are tied at one. Scoreless with Houston and Tampa Bay. They're just underway. Uh, DeGrom and the Mets get an opening day win over the Washington Nationals, 2 to nothing. Games later this afternoon, Arizona is at the Dodgers. Boom. Cubs at... Okay, quick thought, quick aside here. Everybody wants to have opening day at their ballpark some, mm-hmm. but why would Arizona be playing at Los Angeles? Because that's two places where you are guaranteed good weather on yeah, opening day. Why aren't the Indians playing? And maybe it's American League, National League. I, I don't know, but come on. Let's take the teams that are in bad weather spots traditionally and put them in traditional good weather spots so that everybody gets to play. I know that the Giants never opened a season after a World Series win at home. Always irked me. Hmm. The the Reds open at home every single opening day, always have. That, and, and, and before night would, games, they used to be the first game. It, you're right. It, traditionalist, hey, Dad, would, or excuse me, Rippy, would tell you that Major League Baseball season has not begun until first pitch is thrown out by the Cincinnati Reds starting pitcher. I would not be one of those people, yeah, they but have, sure. I'm sorry, Rippy, what were you saying? Oh no, nothing. I was just saying they kind of like they have like the parade at Finley Market or whatever, and kind of like shut down the city. It's like quite literally a holiday there. Yeah. Uh, Boston is at Seattle and a bunch of other games. Plus, you've got uh, just tons to get to this afternoon. Sweet Sixteen 
begins tonight. Got a conversation with Mississippi State Athletics Director John Cohen uh, coming up when we wrap up the show a little bit later today. Also, Tom Hart from ESPN and the SEC Network. Brody Miller from NOLA.com will give us a little bit of an LSU preview. That's not a very good baseball team right now. They've been shut out in two of their last three games. One of those two is by McNeese State. And I got news for you. McNeese State didn't have Ethan Small or JT Ginn. No. Uh, LSU is, is not what you expect when you when you see LSU come into town right now. So we'll see what happens uh, now that they're here in Starville because, like you mentioned, two of the best pitchers in the SEC are about to face them. And, and that's an offense that needs some confidence, and those aren't the guys to get it against. We will, uh, we will take you into the um, – we'll, we'll jump into the DeLorean and go back in time a little bit uh, tonight. Although I guess that was back to the future, or yeah. something along those they lines. They went to the past at some point. Though. Yeah, uh, some of the great radio and TV calls for baseball history. And Borky, this was a, an arduous task for you until late into the evening last night, correct? Yeah. So I, I had this idea in my head, and you know how when you get ideas in your head and you start working on those ideas, no matter what hardships you fall into, you have to finish it. Well, that was mm-hmm. me last night. I spent about three hours working on four minutes of audio, and um, it's probably not what you were asking for, but. It does have a lot of really big-time names, uh, old radio calls, old TV calls, with a, a music bed that is my favorite baseball song. So it, it may not be good. I have no idea. I spent a lot of time on it. It was really frustrating, so I hope you like it. I hope it's good. And it's got almost everybody uh, that you asked for yesterday. I found that it is really hard to find good audio quality of any radio calls in the past. For example, the 2004 Red Sox World Series, the final out, couldn't mm. get good audio of that radio call anywhere. Could not find it. Who gives it. a flip about the Red Sox anyway? Yeah, good yeah exactly. But uh, I've got, I, I threw one for the two of you in there, by the way. Um, Beautiful. But I couldn't find it. And so I spent so much time trying to find these, these exact calls, could never get them. But uh, I've got it. It's, uh, it's a Dropkick Murphy song that all these calls are dubbed over. I hope you like it. Spent a lot of time on it, so we'll and, see. And you say that's the best baseball music of all time? No, it's my favorite baseball song, Tessie, even though it's about the Red Sox, and I couldn't care less about the Red Sox. It's just my favorite baseball song. John Ferg- Fogarty would probably be offended right about now. Center field and whatnot. And I'm a big CCR guy. Those cheap seats. Yeah. I, I, I when, when he said you know he was going to tell us his favorite baseball song, the Dropkick Murphys was not where I thought he was. That's not go. where you were headed. I didn't think he was going there, but uh, you know what? I, I'm intrigued. Let's find out what it sounds like. Rippy, what's your favorite baseball song? Um, I don't know the answer to that honestly. I think I know I'll the answer is you're too cool to have a favorite baseball song, aren't you? Is that like a thing to be too cool for? I just hadn't put uh, that much thought into it, I don't guess. Yeah, well, we'll just have to get back to you on that, I suppose. We will talk a little baseball and a whole lot more as we continue this afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, more coming up. Well, looky there, it's my favorite baseball song. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. I mentioned to you, or kind of mentioned in passing, when I was talking about Mississippi Land Bank, that I drove past the Mississippi Land Bank Starkville office. I decided it was time to come see the Bulldogs in person. And it should be a fun pitching matchup tonight with Ethan Small against Zach Hess. Your boy, Zach Hess. 
My boy, Zach Hiss? That's your boy. Uh, Carl Hess, his dad, is actually my boy. Carl Hess is Rick Stansberry's boy. Wait, they don't like each other? That's who tossed him from the hump. Oh, that uh, was the throat slash? Yeah. No, it wasn't the throat slash. It was the choke sign. Oh, yeah. Gotta get that, keep that straight. Choke slash is not allowed. You gotta, yeah, you, you can do the choke though. You can do the slash. Was that after he had already been tossed? Yeah, he turned around. He had already gotten his. He's, he's, he's on his way out, out, out the. Uh, and, the uh, and turned around on his way to the tunnel and gave the big, gave him the choke. Side. Choke. Yeah, yeah. What a great moment. W- was that an "I'd like to choke you" or "You choked"? I think he was saying "You choked." It'd be a better story if it was Stansberry threatening to choke <laughs> Carl be. Hess. It would be. He would have had a lot of backup that day. Uh, Borky, I, I know you've seen this story. T.J. Quinn at ESPN writes, Attorneys for New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft filed a motion Thursday to exclude video evidence in his solicitation for prostitution case, a move that could prove pivotal. Now, I get that if you are the attorney attorney representing Robert Kraft, that's going to be the first motion that you make. We don't want the video evidence included in this deal. But how is it that... You turn down slash ignore the defense's offer, or, or well, I guess the plaintiff's offer for a plea deal, and then you enter a not guilty plea, and then you say, and oh, by the way, we don't think you should be able to use this evidence. Yeah, I think that they're trying to argue that the entire case was formed against him illegally and in bad faith. So what they're going... The first thing they're going to attack is uh, when the sex trafficking thing was thrown out there, a few weeks later, they pulled that back and said, oh, well, this isn't related to to human trafficking at all. And and so they thought that that was used for in bad faith for the most impact. And they think that the traffic stop and and a couple of other things involved were done against protocol and maybe even illegally. So that's their that's Robert Kraft's defense path is it, the investigation and and the subsequent um media reporting after that was done in bad faith and also they obtained the evidence against him illegally. Right and 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 Kraft's attorneys as I understand it and and just kind of doubling down on what you said is that they were in the middle of an investigation into sex trafficking. He wasn't part of that, and neither of the massage therapists from whom he received services that were more than just a back massage were involved in the sex trafficking, that, that they were not illegally obtained, they weren't being held against their will. So, so that's part of what Robert Kraft's attorneys are going to argue, but I still sit here and go, uh... You're the one that was breaking the law here, buddy. <laughs> I mean, you were paying for it. That that's that's called solicitation of a prostitute. And the fact that they got video is really bad luck for you. Sorry. And yeah. if you didn't want the video out there, they gave you an opportunity to not have the video out there, but you didn't want to do that because then you'd be admitted guilt. And I guess said, I'm sorry. I, I guess no. the other element to that video would be if there is no verbal agreement to said service that it can be thrown out as well because he never actually solicited said service. So there's a lot of things at play here um, because if that's not in the video, then apparently, according to a, a legal analysis I read yesterday, if that's not in the video, then that video can 
technically be thrown out depending on the judge. Well, there's a little blurb on this story that says Patriots owner Robert Kraft released a statement Saturday saying he is, quote, truly sorry, close quote, a month after authorities announced he was videotaped twice paying for a sex act at a massage parlor. Never said what he was sorry for. No, he didn't, but it does show him paying, apparently. Well, I, I mean, Katie and you're, I got a saying, couple's massage in Jamaica, and I paid easy. for it afterwards. Whoa, but. whoa, 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 whoa. That's I, it. Easy, easy. That, we're good. We're good. We don't need to intertwine your life in this story. Not not important here. I'm kidding. All right, I get let, what let, you're saying. Let, let's be mature here. Um, <laughs> a little late in the game for that. I, I was going to since when? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> why, why would we start yeah. that? Uh, but no, I mean, water it, don't be wet, and we paid for it afterwards. But but that didn't occur, and and so that's the that's another defense that they're trying to take. So that it's threefold, really. But if the first two fail, they're going to say, well, he never actually verbally asked for that going into it. Therefore, he got it unsolicited. So it was we'll uh, pro. Never mind. Never. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> just, just, just going to move on. Oh, that's what I, I just I saw that, and I mean, I, I get the legal mechanism that Kraft's attorneys are using. It just feels like a long shot, like a bit of a hail mary for the owner of the Patriots. But it, I just don't think he wants to admit that he would have lost in court, and because they asked him for it, I mean, you know, people, I'm this way. It, just generally speaking, I don't like to be wrong. Ask my wife; she'll she'll tell you I don't like to be wrong. And he doesn't want to admit in court that he would have lost. And that's part of the plea deal is they have to say, if, if this would have gone to court, I would have lost. Yeah. And so he's going to fight it till the end because he doesn't want to admit it. So I guess he's got to decide whether or not he wants to admit that he would have lost or he wants a videotape of him eh. engaged. Man, everybody knows it already. At, I mean, if you're that stubborn, if you if you're so desperately unable to admit that you would have lost in court, well, then just let the video come out. USA Today has put their projections for Major League Baseball for the 2019 season out. It's a panel of, what, six people uh, aggregating their predictions to give you a a best guess. Let's take a look at these. And, uh, Rippy, I'd love to hear your reaction on a, a few of these. Yankees picked to win the East, followed by Boston, and then Tampa Bay. A pretty good division, Tampa Bay with 86 wins. And, and, Rip, you said earlier this week that Tampa Bay may not be a playoff team, but that's going to be a pretty good team. Oh, I think they are a playoff team, and my one bold prediction is that they'll finish above either Boston or New York by the end of the year. Why is I think that they the hill that place. you're choosing to die on? Well, I mean, they were, what, a 90-win team last year that didn't make the playoffs reigning AL Cy Young? I like what they added in their lineup. I mean, it's not a leap by any means. Like I, I would if you if you kind of like I would imagine if you talk to the Red Sox, like or the Yankees, like that's a, that's a formidable third horse in that in that division. So, so if I'm looking at these projections right for the second consecutive year, we're going to have a one game playoff for the second wild card spot. So, so the projections from USA Today: Yankees win the East, Cleveland wins the Central. Houston wins the West. Next best best record for the first wild card spot would be Boston at ninety five and sixty seven, and then they've got Tampa Bay, 
and Oakland, both at 86 and 76, so you would have a one-game playoff. I love the idea of one game to determine the last playoff team. I'm a fan. I'll, anything with sudden death, I'm in. Yes. You know what I like about these uh, predictions? What's that? The three huge contract signings, Trout, Harper, and Machado. Mm-hmm. None of them are in the playoffs for this uh, this uh, situation. Not a one of them. I also know what you don't like about these predictions. Dead last is where they got San Fran. Dead last. Uh, in the National League, the... Uh, Rippy, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, Phillies will be at worst a wild card team. Too much talent there. I, I tend to agree with you on that point. Uh, pick to win the NL East, the Washington Nationals. Cubbies in the Central. Dodgers out West. And then what are we looking at? Next best records. Uh, Atlanta and St. Louis would be the two wild cards in this scenario, both at 89 and 73. So the guys at USA Today, this this group of six baseball they have Milwaukee writers. Milwaukee at 89 and 73, too. They actually have a three-way tie for first at 89 and 73 in the Central. Most projections, too, do not have the Cubs above 84 wins, and I haven't seen one that has the Reds or Pirates like anywhere less than like 77. So that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, I guess it's important to remember that this is also the publication that employs Dan Wolken. Oh, so how much should we really? How much stock should we really put into this? <laughs> so salty in here. It's daggers here today. I mean, USA Today is owned by Gannett, right? It's brutal because because all of a sudden Gannett's a well-run operation. Maybe they got the Reds and the Cubs mixed up. Gannett does that from time to time. Ooh. That went Wouldn't downhill be, quickly. That was. Yes. Hey, Doug yeah. Adler's got his Lady Rebels in Seattle, Oregon this weekend. So, Jeez. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Boom. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along on this Thursday. We roll into the start of week three of SEC baseball tonight, a big series in Starkville with LSU and Mississippi State. To talk about a little bit of the LSU perspective on this series, we welcome in Brody Miller from NOLA.com. Brody, appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. What's up? Not too much, man. How about yourself? How are you guys doing? Everything's good. Good weather tonight. Ready for for what should be a fun weekend. You know, if you rewind six weeks and you look at the preseason polls, you had almost the inverse of where these two teams are from a ranking standpoint. LSU at either one or two. Mississippi State in the upper teens. And now, six weeks into the season, it's completely flipped. What is it that has has gone wrong for LSU that has caused it to to kind of fall in your mind from one or two and basically every poll to start the year to hanging out right there around twenty? Yeah, you know it's funny. I guess we're what about a month and a half into the season now, and I'd say the the first three weeks it was the pitching was the problem. You know, I mean the this pitching staff that I mean coming in, I thought was probably going to be one of the one or two or three best in the country. It was a mess. I mean, they're, they're pretty much all their starting, most of their starting pitchers looked iffy. Their bullpen couldn't throw, like, we're walking, you know, several batters a game. They couldn't throw a strike for the life of them. I mean, it was just over, like, it was legitimately a problem. Then the last three weeks, the pitching staff has gone back to looking, you know, for the most part, pretty fantastic, like you kind of expected. 
But now this lineup that, I mean, I never thought this lineup was going to be incredible or anything like that. I thought it was going to be a pretty solid lineup. But all of a sudden now, I mean, it's, you know, we're at the point where you start saying it's, it's a mess for the past two weeks. I mean, you saw the, the numbers from the Georgia series basically scoring just two runs in the first 25 innings of that series. And, you know, the, the bats weren't exactly great against Kentucky, and they haven't been great the past two midweek games either. So that's a legitimate problem. And, and the biggest problem with that is and you got a lot of left-handed hitters who you like, but they basically only have one right-handed hitter they like right now. I mean, it's a lot of guys hitting 203, 188, you know, 170. It's, those right-handed hitters are a problem, and knowing the fact they're going to start facing a lot of good lefties these next few weeks, it's going to get, uh, going to get even more problematic. Brody, given that all fan bases are overly rational, uh, don't, you know, rush to judgment, don't have too many, you know, highs and lows in their fandom. I'm sure that LSU fans uh, took the 2 nothing loss to McNeese State in the midweek um, uh, with a, a great level of dignity, right? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. There were totally no uh, no forum headlines basically saying Paul Maneri should be fired. None of that. No, no. Jeez. <laughs> No, I mean, it's like that after the wins here. I mean, they win a game too close, like more than fans would like, and it's like, ah, oh, Palmineri's terrible. Um, but, yeah, no, people are, are not happy. But, it, you know, I will at least say this. At least this is one of the few times where, you know, it does feel like there's a legitimate problem, you know, because even the, the last midweek game they won against Nichols, I mean, they should have lost that game. They were trailing all game. They had, like, three hits in the first seven innings and then just kind of caught fire at the end, luckily. But, yeah, it's... It's starting to become a bit of a, a real problem. It's such a problem that, you know, basically Pulmonary didn't say anything to the team after Wednesday, after Tuesday's loss, and the players had a, you know, like a 20-minute long players-only meeting in right field where, like, every one of the leaders basically went around one by one just kind of tearing into tearing into this team. So it's definitely a wake-up call moment, So I, and I guess it's better to have that now than later. But, yeah, no, uh, tensions are high in Baton Rouge right now. Brody, it feels like with Palmineri teams, and you know maybe even going back farther than, than when Palmineri was there, that, that LSU doesn't always play its best baseball early, but somewhere about the halfway point in the league stretch, something clicks, and you look up and, and they win 8 of 9, or they win 10 of 14, and there's all of a sudden some critter that creates a rally, and there's this magic that just kind of like starts pouring out of the sky and they play their best baseball at the end of the year. Are the pieces there for this year's LSU team to, to catch that lightning in a bottle somewhere around the halfway point of SEC play and turn it into a, a trip to a Super Regional or, or to get back to Omaha? No, I mean, first off, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, we're, we're 13 years into the Pulmonary era, and it's basically like clockwork that every year they seem to figure something out. I mean, last year's team didn't even look like it was going to make the NCAA tournament, and they ended up going on a long run and, and you know, and, and SEC, to the SEC finals. You know, so it, you're right, but, I, but I'm trying to, like, make sure I don't, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing about this team, writing like, oh, but they'll figure it out because they always do, because that's not probably a, a good way to handle it. But, but no, to answer your question, they – they have all the pieces. I think it comes down to one key thing, and their arms get healthy. That's the other thing I haven't mentioned here yet is that right now they're without eight pitchers, and three of those pitchers are pretty essential pitchers. So, you know, they're without their their set. They're basically their their opening weekend rotation. They're without two of those three guys right now. I mean, that's that's pretty relevant, you know. And then 
So you're out. You're without Landon Marceau, who was one of the top college freshmen in the country. You're without Jaden Hill, who both those guys turned down more than a million dollars to come to LSU. And you're without you know some guys like Chase Costello and a few other you know pretty important bullpen arms. So I mean, I think if they can get those guys healthy, which in general they're optimistic they will, but we'll see. If you can get those guys back, yeah, I have, I, I have some confidence this team will definitely go on a run towards the end of the year and has the pieces to figure things out. If you don't get those arms back, all of a sudden you're relying on a short staff and you don't know if you can trust your lineup right now. So I think my confidence, so I think the answer really does come down to, you know, how, how healthy is that pitching staff. Hey, Brody, it's Brian. Hey, Dad. Looking at LSU's rotation for just this weekend, you know, Mississippi State's TBA for, for, for Saturday. Keegan James may get the star, but that's not set in stone yet. What does LSU look like past Zach Hess tonight? Yeah, so Zach Hess obviously getting the start tonight. And then uh, tomorrow it will be Cole Henry, who uh, Cole Henry is the other of this like kind of trio of really, really highly touted freshman pitchers who, who all turned down seven figures to come here. Yeah, he was kind of the least talked about of those three. But he's somebody who is, you know, he started off kind of slow, wasn't as talked about, but now played, you know, pitched really well in Texas, and after that earned the starting spot, and kind of they took Landon Marceau away from that spot. And since then, he has been pretty dominant. He, basically, I mean, he pitched a, I believe, a one-hit shutout against Georgia in the first seven innings the last week. Uh, he dominated Kentucky. Or no, he, I'm sorry, he dominated. Yeah, I believe he dominated Kentucky. I mean, he's. He's been pitching really well lately, and so I think he's somebody they really like tomorrow. Now, the bigger opportunity probably for Mississippi State is against Eric Walker on Saturday. You know, Eric Walker is somebody who you know, was probably was LSU's second best pitcher throughout the their College World Series run in 2017. They got Tommy John they had to get Tommy John surgery right as they approached the finals of the College World Series. Missed all of last season, and now is still kind of kind of working his way back. And he's he's definitely not back to the old Eric Walker. You know, he's a he's definitely solid. He's just kind of a crafty, undersized guy who know who's a really smart pitcher. But he's he's throwing eighty miles an hour. You know, he's just kind of a smart guy. And his the whole thing with him is he's going to pitch a responsible game and he's going to you know let the fielders make plays and all that, which is great. Again, the lineup looking as dominant as Mississippi State, there's probably reason for concern. Brody Miller on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Brody A Miller covers LSU at NOLA dot com. Brody, what what has happened with Mikhail Hilliard? I watched him a year ago as a freshman, and it was one of those guys that you go, okay, he, he's he's skinny, but he'll grow into that frame a little bit. And there's a pretty good curveball, and there was decent velocity on the fastball, but it doesn't seem to be all coming together. So, are, are they excited about the future for him? Because he's not even in the conversation for one of those rotation spots for a guy that that not only pitched but had some success as a freshman. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think there are, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of answers to that. I think, I think for starters, you know, right around the SEC tournament last year, he started dealing with some soreness, and I mean, he basically has dealt with that soreness off and on from you know pretty much May until the beginning of this season. And so, I think that's obviously your number one problem. And then two, the, uh, the other thing is, I think even if he was healthy, I don't think he would have been an obvious. I don't think he would have been in the weekend rotation even if healthy, just because of how talented these arms coming in were. I mean, he's, gotcha. Because Mikhail, yeah, keep in mind, Mikhail Hilliard was he was a complete surprise last year. You know, he was one of their lower, like you know, caliber arms coming in, and he just blew everyone away out of necessity and, and kind of impressed. But 
But I think some of those freshmen, no matter what, were going to take over those spots. And they have all this faith in Eric Walker. And whether they should or shouldn't have, obviously, I mean, I think that's part of the reasoning. So you combine those two factors with the fact that you know, he's slowly getting his way back. And for the most part, he looks solid in most of his outings, but he definitely can't extend yet or anything like that. So it's a complicated answer, but really I'd say it's a combination of there's, there's some guys they like more than him, and he's not quite back to being able to extend. Interesting stuff. Brody, appreciate your time. Regardless of kind of where these two teams are, it always feels like it's a big deal when they get together on the diamond and it gets started tonight. Thanks, uh, thanks, Brody, this afternoon. Look forward to uh, catching up with you again down the line soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and I am livid that I'm not able to make it to Starkville this week, so have fun, guys. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and Brian Haydad. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you have land financing or refinancing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been refi- They've been in the land financing business for over 100 years. Whether it's buying a piece of property, refinancing an existing loan, a production loan, an equipment loan, whatever it is, maybe you're going to build a dream house on a, a special spot just outside of town a little bit, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do. It's what they've been doing for a century. Fantastic people. You can find a branch location and the contact information online at mslandbank.com. Hey, Rippy, you've, you've had now all 45 minutes or so to think about it. Have you come up yet with your favorite baseball song? Still I didn't know that I was supposed to spend the last 45 minutes thinking about it. Well, what else have you been doing? give you some time to think on it a bit and then get back to us. I don't really have one. Like, I don't have a strong opinion on, like, the All right, you baseball don't, you don't music. Like, like, you don't like center field, John Fogarty? Yeah, I mean, it's all fine. Like, honestly, the coolest part to me, I guess, music-related are ballpark organists. Like, I prefer that over the DJ. I know we were having that conversation well, should, the other day. You need to come to Starkville tonight. Get yeah. in the car. Speaking of which, this weekend, the organist from the Atlanta Braves, is it SunTrust Park, yeah. is in Starkville. So Mississippi State has brought in an organist to play for the weekend. And he is he takes requests on Twitter, if you follow him, at Braves Organist. What, what kind of, I mean, there's only like a certain amount of I, options, a right? A couple years ago, he was at Auburn, and he started taking requests, and I requested Inagata DeVita, and I got it. I'm pretty sure they can get creative because I remember this summer that, that the organist would play like Maroon Five and such. He recorded some tracks that have been being played at the stadium prior to this, mm-hmm. and he re- he did Your Love. Uh, he did Jake Mangum's Walk Out by the Outfield. Oh, really? Yeah. So he he can pretty so much. So do, do you whatever. think tonight is going to be organ exclusive, or do you think it's going to be a mix of? Well, I mean, I'm sure like the walkout music will be the normal tracks, but I think the rest of it might just be the organ. What What if he took all the walkout music songs and like made them organ songs? Man, that would be really difficult with the amount of rap in some of these songs. I don't know if he can if he can do uh, you know uh, future or whoever some of these other songs are. Yeah, I I, I don't know either. Uh, hey, Borky, really nice job on the uh, the baseball highlights montage. I loved the finish. Where you went, Jack Buck, we will see you tomorrow night. And followed it up with Joe Buck, we will see you tomorrow night. Nice touch at the end. Yeah, Joe Buck gets a bad rap, man. I think he's really good at his job. He's really good. You're right. Joe Buck's like Nickelback. He's the cool thing to hate on, but he's really good. 
Bad example, but you get what I mean. <laughs> you, if you think Nickelback's really good, man, you and Jake Mangum have something in common. Well, He's a Nickelback fan, huh? Sundays at Mississippi State are Nickelback Sundays. Well, Jake Mangum is old enough to be the lead singer of Nickelback's dad, so. I'm just saying. Um, let's see. One, uh, one other thing. What was I going to say? Uh, oh, Borky. Give us the rundown of who was in the montage. Okay, so it started with Harry Carey, and then Vin Scully, John Miller, John Sterling, Joe Buck, Skip Carey, Dave Niehaus, Tom Cheek, Joe Castiglione, Bob Euchre, Hawk Harrelson, and then the Jack and Joe Buck. Put it on the board! Yeah! Yeah, that guy's awesome. Well, not really. <laughs> He's really hard to listen to. That'd be terrible, but his calls are hilarious to me. I do like put it on the board, yeah. And then I like stretch. When they lose and he goes silent for a full six minutes. Yeah. The, um, the To me, and look, I'm going to raise my hand on this because baseball is losing this. Broadcasting is losing this. Uh, television and radio broadcasters have become largely homogenized. Right, we we all kind of, you know, we all have our own idiosyncrasies, and you have guys that you like more than others. We all kind of do it the same way. It didn't used to be like that, right? I mean, you used to have Jack Buck with his style and Vin Scully with his style, and then you had Hawk Harrelson doing his thing and Bob Euchre doing his thing, and all of those different personalities were unique and were accepted. You have far fewer personalities today than you did in years gone by. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but those personalities were part of what made grace, baseball great. It's 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 become a very it's 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 very vanilla at times, you know, especially because the local radio guy. I mean, now that every game is televised and you can just watch it here on your on your. On your laptop or whatever, yeah, you know, it's just not the same, you know. Especially when you think about like in Mississippi, how many people grew up to be Cardinals fans because on a clear night you could hear—I uh, forget the name of the station—KMOX, yeah, the, the huge AM station. You could hear it, you know. And, you, and a lot of Mississippians grew up being Cardinals fans because you could do that. So yeah, that, that's something that the game has definitely lost through the years. R- Rippy, I don't know if—I don't even know if this is a topic of conversation anymore, but it, it's always been interesting to me with the Braves in particular and the Cubs as well, and I guess this may be changed as you were growing up, but when I was young, you watched every Braves game on TBS. And every Cubs game, almost every Cubs game, was available on WGN. Those were both superstations, so it didn't matter if you were in Atlanta, Chicago, or you were in North Mississippi or South Mississippi, or you were in Los Angeles. You got every Braves game and every Cubs game, and it's always been fascinating to me. If you watch the Braves when they make a West Coast swing, when they go to Dodger Stadium, there are literally thousands of Braves fans that are at those games. And I don't know if radio signals work the same way because, for example, Cincinnati is on one of those massive radio outlets, a 50,000-watt AM station. You have KMOX. You have... It's uh, WWL out of New Orleans and then WLW out of Cincinnati, WSB in Atlanta. So there are a few of those that where it kind of integrates. Do people 
I, I don't know what I think you guys talked about at the ballpark all summer when you were there last year. Is that ever a topic of conversation? Um, not really. Um, I mean, I don't know. Conversation was just so random. Like, I don't think it was ever, like, hyper-focused on, like, the history of, like, I guess broadcasting regions and what. I would always bring up, <laughs> I found it odd that they got the, uh... No, no, I didn't mean that, like, sarcastically. Like, I... But I did find it odd that, like, I, I like they everyone found it odd that you can get the Reds in North Mississippi. Like, you can get their Fox network. Yeah, that's true. But it may just be geography. It's really not that far from North Mississippi to Cincinnati. I mean, seven hours? Six and a half hours? Yeah, yeah about six and a half. I remember, you talk about WGN, I remember the first year they started airing White Sox games, back when the old Comiskey. And I just remember one night, like, flipping channels, and just like, is this is this the White Sox? Are the White Sox on television? Why is this? Yes, yeah, like because the White Sox were terrible when yeah. I was a kid. And uh, then a couple years later, they they were really good with Black Jack McDowell and those guys with Frank Thomas. And so it was fun to watch them when they moved into the new Comiskey Park and all that. And the crazy thing was, a lot of those days it would be a Cubs game on in the afternoon and, then and White a White Sox, Sox game at yeah. night. Yeah, and that was, I mean, in the summer, that's what you did, man. You just watch you watch the Braves, the Cubs, and then when the White Sox were available, and then this your Saturdays, you had the MLB game of the week. And then when ESPN finally brought baseball, you know, a little more mainstream, that was just huge. I, I, I used to watch baseball tonight. Like, that was part of my religion. You know, I, I, nev- I would never miss baseball tonight. And now, I mean, it's, it's just so different now. I don't, I don't watch those shows anymore. But Morky, how much time do we need for your trivia game? Have we messed it up? Um, we can at least uh, start it, I think. Okay. Let's fire away. Well, what have you got? So I was thinking about this last night. How many... Major League Baseball managers could I name? And it was basically zero. So I'm going to bring it to you. I've got ten random Major League Baseball teams. I'm going to go down to each one and see how many of you guys can actually, or how many of you, how many of them you can name. Okay. Baltimore. Who's the manager of the Baltimore Orioles right now? He's, he's in his first Brandon year. Brandon Hyde. There you go. Rippy's going to be good Rippy's at this. Rippy's going to be good at this, yeah. Chicago, the White Sox version. Robin Ventura is still the manager, isn't he? How's he in? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, uh, shoot, I, I had him this summer. He was the manager of the Cubs for a year, but got uh, got bounced after a year for Joe Madden. That's, uh, shoot. Rick Renteria. Yeah, there we Rick go. Rick Renteria. The Houston okay. Astros. A.J. Hinch. Oh, it's uh, Alex Cora. A.J. Hinch is Oh, Alex correct. Cora left there as the bench coach to go to Boston. What am I talking about? Yeah. It is A.J. Hinch. Good call. This one should be easy, Kansas City. Ned, Ned Yost. Yost. Miami. Also should be easy for Donnie me. Baseball. And Mattingly still there, right? Milwaukee, Donnie my new baseball. favorite team. It's Craig Council. Craig Council. Craig Council. Philly. Gabe Kapler. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I knew that. You are really good at this, much better than the other two. San Diego. Ooh. Oh, I always want to group say Bud Black. Is Jack McKeon still there? No, it's not. We got to take a timeout. Andy Green, Tampa Bay, Kevin Cash, Kevin Joe Cash, Madden. and finally Washington. Dave Martinez. Nobody knows baseball coaches. Sports Talk Mississippi. They're called managers in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. 
Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you. Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner. Got the whole crew here today. Got baseball coming your way tonight. We've got a busy final hour and a half or so of the uh, of the show this afternoon. Going to chat with Lee Sterling coming up in just a little bit. We'll get his thoughts on the Sweet 16 matchups tonight and tomorrow and look ahead to the rest of the weekend. Also got a conversation uh, coming up at the end of this hour. Short chat with Tom Hart to preview tonight's matchup between Mississippi State and LSU. We'll talk with Tom in a little more detail about baseball's opening day and some big-picture thoughts on the SEC in the 5 o'clock hour. And also, uh, John Cohen going to spend a couple of segments with us at the end of the show. Had a chance to visit with him earlier today. He is in Portland, Oregon. And so it's a mix of women's basketball and baseball conversation with the AD for Mississippi State. All of that coming up with you on the Farm Bureau phone line a little bit later this afternoon. A couple of things, though, to get to before we uh, we go any of those places. The matchups that we've got in the uh, in the Sweet 16 are good ones. Uh, we talked about that yesterday. There, there's not a single clunker. There may be a game or a couple of games that you're more interested in than others, but there's not a clunker in the mix. Get started tonight at uh, 6.09 Central Time, so 10 minutes after we finish up Florida State-Gonzaga Game 1 on CBS. Half an hour later, Purdue and Tennessee on TBS. Two hours after that, Texas Tech and Michigan on CBS. And then the nightcap also on TBS, Oregon and Virginia. That is at 8.57 uh, tentatively on TBS. How about this? There's a digital billboard on the outside of the KFC Yum Center in Louisville. The tenant in that building, by the way, is in the ACC. They are no longer in the NCAA tournament. Tennessee is. They're an SEC team, so what does the SEC do? Buy a little billboard space on the outside of the venue, one of those digital billboards, and so you got a couple of uh, SEC big, it just means more logos flashing on the outside of the KFC Yum Center. I mean, you know, you troll where you can. That's pretty in your face. Yeah, especially, you know, talk about the home of Louisville, and I'm sure they are really excited that Kentucky is still alive. Well, not not in that city, but you know, yeah, it, overall, at, at least there, they're not having to stomach Kentucky playing in their building. In that would the be fantastic. Sweet Sixteen, uh, LSU, Michigan State will be game one tomorrow night. Then it's Auburn, North Carolina, followed by Virginia Tech, Duke, and the nightcap Houston and Kentucky. So LSU, one of those teams, we've talked about the fact that they will meet Michigan State and Tom Izzo tomorrow night. Borky, we have a new layer. In LSU wiretap lore, right? Yeah, and it feels like for some reason only Will Wade and LSU are getting really deep dug in on on this thing, but we kind of figured out who his middleman was, uh, the guy that was dealing with the strong offer uh, that he gave to one of his players. Uh, His name is Shannon Foreman, according to Yahoo, and uh, he is the middleman between Will Wade and Christian Dawkins, and helped facilitate that kind of a payment. Shannon Foreman, a fixture in Baton Rouge basketball circles, and someone Javante Smart referred to as, quote, my mentor. Documents viewed by Yahoo show a link between Foreman and Christian Dawkins in a wiretap 2017 phone call with Dawkins, first reported by Yahoo. Wade makes mention of Shannon as the intermediary for his strong-ass offer. Foreman, who has been labeled a trainer, 
and a coach of current LSU standout Javante Smart is um, how's Javante Smart still playing? Because they know the season is over and done with. Then why, yeah, but why did Will Wade coaching? Because Javante Smart and his mom talked to them. It's as simple as that. If Will Wade would come in and talk, or if he had come in and talked a few weeks ago, they probably would have let him coach. I don't. I don't, I don't know. I, at first, I thought you know they were bringing him in to fire him, but at this point, they're still playing smart. Maybe they just wanted to get him on the record and be like, "All right, go on, do what you got to do." I wonder if on, you know, we've we've talked about the fact that anything that Will Wade says to his boss with the NCAA present, one could certainly get him in trouble with the NCAA, and two could be subpoenaed by the feds. But Will Wade isn't being accused of a crime with the feds. He's a witness. He is one of the defense witnesses that's being subpoenaed and called to kind of expose the way the whole operation works to try and get Merle Code and some of these other guys off or or to show that the schools weren't actually being harmed. Did I describe that the right way? Right, yeah. He is not being called to the stand to be arrested. He's been called to the stand to give his testimony. The wiretap is just a really, really, really bad look, but as of right now, he's not facing any charges. I mean, the problem is, if you go and lie to your boss, then you've got insubordination issues. But if you go and you tell your boss the truth, and the NCAA's there for every step of the way, well, now you've got eligibility issues. LSU put him in, okay, Will Wade, I guess, put himself in this own impossible spot. But when LSU said, we're going to welcome the NCAA to be part of any conversations that we have with the coach as part of the investigation, they kind of put Will Wade in a spot where he couldn't come and talk to them, right? I mean, Will Wade's going to be fired for one of two reasons. He's going to be fired for insubordination, or he's going to be fired for breaking NCAA rules and getting the, the school in probation. Right. And But he's getting fired one way or the other, and he's not getting a big buyout. So maybe, maybe Will Wade is making the smart play here. Maybe he makes $3 million a year, and so his take-home pay after taxes is, or $3.5 million a year, and so his take-home pay after taxes is a couple hundred thousand bucks, and he knows by not being fired immediately, that paycheck is going to continue until he's actually fired. So maybe he was milking it for another month or two worth of pay, yeah. which yeah. is significant. And Javante Smart has plausible deniability, and Will Wade doesn't because the wiretap specifically has him talking about payments, but Javante Smart could say, well, we never got it. Never came to us. I don't know what he was talking about on the phone, but never came to us. You can't prove it. You can't subpoena my bank record, so let me play kind of thing. Mm. I just know she does win it all. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Rippy. I'm Go ahead. No, I was just saying, if LSU does like win it all and cut down the nets, they should send him to go grab the trophy from Emmert. Javante Smart? Yes. Oh, I concur 100% with that. I want them to win it all. At this point, I want them to win it all. That would be so funny to me because how awkward the entire situation would be. One, because it's getting vacated. This season, the 2018-19 season for LSU, will be stripped from the record books. Poor SID that has to do all the paperwork. We're all watching it, so we're going to know it's, it happens. But this season's getting wiped from the record. So having Mark Emmert hand the trophy of his billion-dollar tournament to Javante Smart, who we know 
his coach was talking about giving him a strong offer on a federal wiretap would be just a beautifully awkward and uncomfortable picture, and I want to see it. It's funny to me, sitting across from Brian Haydad, how he checks out when we start talking about the NCAA. You know, earlier today, uh, one of your favorite guys, Pat Forty, tweeted something <laughs> about... What a hack. Well, he, he it was about this case or something. And, 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 tell, and me that, tell me that. Let me justify the what a hack thing. Uh, yeah, that's fine. If, you want to. if interested mm-hmm. in doing so... He can be a good writer, right? When he when he chooses to be smarmy, which is about ninety five percent of the time, and it's like a look at me thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not come on, whatever, take it or leave it. But when he just is doing his thing yeah. as a writer, he's a good writer. Well, he asked the question. He, you know, he said the ratings are up on this tournament and all this stuff's going on. Do people really care how the sausage is made? Which is no, like, they don't. And care. that's what I said. I was like, people don't care. And I am one of those people. I don't care. You know, oh, Will White's paying play. Who cares? But I love everybody's playing play. How people like him are just now realizing that. Oh, it's I don't know that it's they're just it now realizing. His back hurts from all that water he's been carrying for the NCAA for so long. I, I don't know if it, if he's just now realizing it. It's just is it's it's something he has to write about now. You know, I, I, he's known about it. He's not he's not ignorant of it. I don't. Yeah, think. but he's been a defender. Oh, I guess. No, 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 not I guess. He I, he he's been a big again, time proponent of defender of the NCAA and. <laughs> Mark Emmert and That's their processes. And, and that, that had to be taken care of. <laughs> I'm not talking about exclusive to Ole Miss. Yeah. No, I mean, well, he, he, he's a, out of Indianapolis. He's highly sourced with the NCAA, yeah. and so he's written things from their perspective yeah. because of the inside, inside information on that. Yeah. But it's incredibly one-sided for a national writer. It's quite funny that these tables have turned in, in sports media now suddenly – wants players to get paid and and wants the NCAA to go away. Now that Missouri, the number one journalism school in the country, has been unfairly treated by the NCAA. It's amazing the turn that all these guys have made since their school got in trouble. Hashtag make it right. Just wait till Syracuse and Northwestern get in trouble. Then you'll really have the (laughs) journo people coming after you. Maybe Columbia journalism? Eh, we're probably not worried about Columbia, are we? Well, Yale's in trouble, so you never know. Ian Rappaport might jump on Columbia. Sports talk. All he's doing is writing about the NFL and carrying Mississippi State's water. That's right. Sports talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports talk Mississippi with you. Thursday afternoon, Major League Baseball's opening day. You got baseball tonight in Starkville, Mississippi State, hosting LSU, and the start of weekend at number two of the NCAA basketball tournament. Four Sweet 16 matchups tonight, four more tomorrow night. And for us to talk a little bit more about those matchups, we bring in Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports. Lee, it's been a while. What's up, my man? Oh, I survived the first weekend. <laughs> uh, it's a crazy week. Have you ever been out to Vegas for the tournament? I have not. We were at the Golden Moon uh, last Friday for day two, and obviously that's very different. But with you know legalized sports gambling in Mississippi now, we got a little bit of a taste of it. It's kind of a cool yeah, environment. Yeah. People were people lined up early to get in, get good seats. It, yeah, I mean it, it was a crowd that kind of grew as the day went along. Right. 
Well, it, you, you got to go one time. I mean, people fly in from all over, and you see people that are there three, four hours before the first game, getting their seat. And I've seen people sometimes, they're going crazy. I'll never forget this. Must have been seven, eight years ago. I see this guy. This guy's going nuts at every game, every basket. And I just made note of this guy. And sure enough, I'm going for coffee the next morning, and he's still in that seat. I mean, it's like 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> so I ended up going for coffee the next morning, still in the same seat. So I went over to the guy. See, that's incredible. You can, you know, root for every game and, you know, be so into it. He said, he said, be into it. He goes, I lost all my money the first day. He goes, I got to wait until Monday for my flight to go home. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, not, not a good scene. But uh, the key is, you know, especially that first weekend, to pace yourself. There's so many games. I mean, the handle, they'll take in for this entire tournament three times what they'll take in for a Super Bowl. So you want to stay alive. And uh, some pretty good teams. A lot of, a lot of chalk has uh, advanced to the Sweet 16. Yeah, so is that, from, from a, a handicapping standpoint, is the fact that you've got blue blood, well-known teams that people have watched all season long and, and should have pretty good matchups, is that good? From a wagering standpoint, or is there more value when you you've got a Cinderella that's floating around out there? Oh, I I think it's 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 easier with once you get deeper into the tournament if you've got some teams that probably don't belong there or you know pulled the upset because after that big upset they're usually headed for a fall. I mean, there's cases you know where the Loyola Chicago's you know go real far, but uh, usually they win one or two games and they make an exit. You're always talking about those last couple teams in. But uh, once you get to this point, you know, really outside of Oregon, and they won their way in, uh, the, the determining, you know, five or six teams that made it, you know, ended the last second or, you know, one, and the only because reason they ended up making it uh, to the tournament was their, their, their body of work throughout the entire season. They're gone. So uh, the only, you know, real big underdog right now and shock is Oregon. But uh, if you watch them play, uh, they can certainly maybe play with anyone at this point. Yeah, a bunch of small lines. Is the perfect illustration of what you were just talking about, Murray State, last weekend, where they get the big opening round win as a 12 and then turn around and just got trounced by Florida State? Yeah, it, I mean, they just they put everything into that game, and, and, you know, it's tough to match that, that intensity. Even, you know, some of these really good teams, every team has a real weakness. Uh, I, I've never seen a tournament where maybe – Three of the top five or six teams uh, can't shoot threes. I mean, I'm talking about Duke, North Carolina, and also Kentucky. Yeah. Any one of those, you know, teams ends up down eight, ten points with seven, eight minutes to go in the game. You know, they could be done. So uh, it's uh, you love the matchups. I mean, Central Florida was like the easiest gift. You get a, you know, a, 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 an assistant, former assistant facing, you know, his protege, and. and you knew that he was going to have him sky high for that game. That was that was the most exciting thing. But the interesting was also, uh, you know, there was that LSU shot with maybe two and a half, three seconds to go that won it. But no real buzzer beaters this this entire first round. So I expect uh, I expect to see tighter games and uh, maybe some of these games come down. Maybe the last possession. Lee, let's look at a couple of the games uh, tonight and a couple of the games tomorrow night. But before we do that, why don't you tell people how they can get all of your picks and all of your information? 
always check out the website, ParamountSports.com. We do football, basketball, and AAF football. <laughs> I don't know if I'm embarrassed to say How's that going? You know, I didn't think I would have five clients interested in, and we ended up with over 50. Now, when you win, it also people are interested in it. We have hit over 70% of our selections there, but there's only eight teams, and so you can really study every team and know the weaknesses, and we had fun with it because we're winning. So if they want to check out the site, it's ParamountSports.com. And coming up in the next couple of weeks, I'll be going to a bunch of spring games, and, and watching them on TV and making videos. So check out those uh, the website as we'll put up. I know we'll have Ole Miss and, and also State up there. We'll have some, some videos talking about what I saw in their spring games. All right, you mentioned there's only you know, one big underdog. That is Oregon. Virginia, a nine-point favorite. That is the late game tonight. Tips off at 8.57 Central Time on, on TBS. Uh, the total also in this game is the lowest of the four games tonight uh, at just 120 and a half. It makes it almost impossible to play Virginia because if you play Virginia in the under, uh, you know, you're, it's probably not going to happen. So I, I, I lean to Oregon here. I just think that Virginia will probably win the game. Eight and a half points is a lot. You know, it's, all these games are neutral sites. So uh, some of these players that had big, big games and, you know, there's, there's, there's a few guys that were just absolutely on fire. Those guys, uh, I mean, they're going to have, like, look at Carson Edwards. I mean, here's a guy for Purdue, scores 42 points the last game. I think the game before that, he had 27 or 28. Now he's got to go to a new venue. So yeah. those things are real important. I think Virginia's just too balanced. I think they'll win the game, but I think Oregon's going to cover that spread. Tomorrow night is so fascinating to me. It gets started with uh, with LSU-Michigan State. Six points for Michigan State. Is that a Tom Izzo factor? Because LSU really, really athletic. They are, and and I think this is going to be another tight game. Uh, I think you're going to see some of these teams that are favorites. I think they're going to win the game, but but have trouble covering here. Uh, LSU just so long, and they just play such good defense. Uh, I think it's going to be a low scoring game. So I'm favoring LSU in the under here, and uh, uh, I don't think you're going to see LSU if they get up blow that kind of lead. I think they'll they'll step on the gas. That was shocking. I mean, they should have been up by 25 points, not just 15. So uh, that, that's what happens sometimes. You take your foot off the gas. You got to keep playing and keep you know trying to try to bury your opponent because every team that's still alive right now can come back and go on a 15-0 run. Visiting with Lee Sterling. He's on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. You can check out all of his work at ParamountSports.com. Without question, the the game that I'm most excited about out of these Sweet 16 matchups is the Auburn-North Carolina game because it just feels like it's going to be who can run up and down the floor and throw it up fastest. It is, and I, I still I, I, I haven't gone, I haven't played too many North Carolina games, but I do still think that they're overrated. I think that they've had to been in just absolute wars playing the ACC this year. I mean, you see what happened. You know, the even the Virginia Techs, who no one talked about, there's a team that beat Duke both games. So I, I think they've been in tough games. I think it's taken something out of them here. I think Auburn's peaking at the right time. Um, Auburn game, I, I think they're going to be able to shoot the basketball and. and get a lead, and uh, the question is, will they be able to hold on here? I'm going to play Auburn plus five, and I'm going to even play them on the money line, sprinkle some money there. If Auburn comes in, uh, uh, I may not be back until football season. (laughs) 
I hear you. Might be in the hey, islands or somewhere. Look, the only thing that concerns me about Auburn is if you look at them over the entirety of the season, you've got a bunch of games that you can find where they hit 10, 11, 12, 13 threes. But there are also a handful of games sprinkled in there where they only hit four or five. Right. And with the number of threes they shoot, if they have one of those nights where they're off shooting, this yeah. thing could be ugly the other way. Now, if they shoot it like they did against Kansas, oh, man, what, what an incredible run they've got going. I think that North Carolina is going to play up-tempo, and I think it's going to be a mistake. So uh, I, I, I don't like to go against hot teams uh, who have a body of work, and, and and I think that they're getting hotter and hotter, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if you even see a, see their best performance in this game. So I, I do think it's going to be a track meet. You definitely, if you're playing the total, you want to play the over. Is Houston and Kentucky a slugfest? Yeah, it could, it could get really ugly. I don't think Houston's used to facing this type of defense. So the under's probably the strongest play here. And, you know, Kentucky with their injuries and, and what they've had to face going down the stretch, I think they'd love to play a slowdown game here also. So, uh, this might be the one game. This might be 51 to, to 48. So that might be the only game that I stay away from on the entire card. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's total favorite altogether. The line's two and a half, three points, Kentucky. Um, I think it's a tough game. All right. So Houston and Kentucky, that one he said he's going to steer clear of. But uh, yeah. you heard a nice, strong lean toward Auburn from Lee Sterling just a few minutes ago. Again, the website, ParamountSports.com. You can check out all of Lee's information. And if you're looking for a little edge in the AAF, where else are you going to go? Lee, thanks, my man. Enjoy the hoops weekend. Okay, thanks. You too. Four o'clock hour here with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Coming to you from the Renaissance Bank studio. Tom Hart joins us from the SEC Network and um, ESPN. Going to talk a little college baseball. We're, we're going to extend this conversation a little bit later in the five o'clock hour. We'll talk some big picture SEC stuff. Talk a little Major League Baseball opening day. But right now, I'd love for us to, to kind of lock in onto this matchup tonight: Mississippi State and LSU. And if you believe the polls going into the season, you would have thought LSU is the number two team in the country and Mississippi State somewhere around 20 in the polls or wherever LSU is right now. It's kind of the flip-flop. Mississippi State, people thought they were going to be good, but maybe a little surprising as to just how good they've been so far. I think it's the value of returning players. You know, they have just about everybody that's in their starting lineup outside of second base, uh, my memory serves, played in Omaha last year. And and it wasn't just a typical Omaha run. I mean, we remember what Elijah McNamee did with two strikes against him and two outs in the ninth inning at Florida State to win the Tallahassee Regional. Maybe the best Super Regional ever played when they went to Vandy and we had two walk-offs in an extra inning game. Um, the late game dramatics, seemingly every postseason game for Mississippi State, and I think that speaks to a program and individuals that know how to win. I mean, you just that becomes innate, you know. Like that, it's really hard, I think, for players to show up, especially in this league, and quote know how to win. And I think that's what's happening with LSU right now. I mean, they've been they've been pretty dismal, especially offensively. They've been shut out two out of the last three games, including to McNeese State and a guy who came in with an ERA of almost six and a half. Two nights ago, they need to figure out their offense, and it's a it's a mix of their veterans and the young guys. And I think it's a veteran's job to explain to the young guys what's expected and and how to succeed in the SEC. Mississippi State doesn't have to have that conversation. They know they've been through it and they've lived it. 
this question is probably premature. We, we probably should do this on Monday, but I don't think we're going to sit down and talk on Monday. So the combination of Ethan Small and JT Ginn, yeah. arguably the best one-two punch in the country so far this year. You've been around the SEC a bunch for the last decade, I guess. It, has there been a comparable or better one-two punch? We'll see how they pitch tonight, yeah. tomorrow against LSU, and as the season goes on. But is is that a reasonable question to start asking? I think it's I think it's fair. Um, I don't think you put it overall ever right now. I mean, you got to see obviously what they do. Uh, it reminds me of the Florida combination of Fiedo and Singer from yeah. just a couple of years ago, and they both ended up being first round picks. They won a national championship for Florida, and really Florida won that College World Series two years ago, essentially with three pitchers. Um, they had Alex Fiedo. Then they had Brady Singer, and they had a closer who set the school's saves record. And they proved that you could have that kind of success with with two guys. Three pitchers and elite defense, right? Yeah, one of the best fielding teams that we've seen in a long time. And they weren't great offensively, but they showed that you could win it all. So I would, from a comp standpoint, I would start with Fiedo and Singer. I was just talking with Kyle Peterson today about Ginn. He saw him pitch at Florida two weeks ago, um, and he said – for the first five innings, and we're talking to the Mississippi State coaching staff about this, he said for the first five innings that was the best freshman pitcher he had ever seen in college baseball. And Kyle Peterson has been around this game for a long time, so that put my eyebrows up immediately. Really fascinating stuff. You guys are going to have an interesting vantage point tonight. You're going to broadcast from the left field lofts. The stadium is unbelievable. Nobody's got condos in the outfield, and you're going to be on a balcony. How's that going to play? Hopefully really well. You know, there's going to be some red solo cups up there. They're going to bring us some food. We're just I think the idea is, well I don't think. I know the idea is um, Wait, wait, are you on a balcony or are you on the balcony? You you know there was a a video that that, that floated around. <laughs> Let's just say that wherever we're going to be, we're going to make it the balcony. Like whatever party we're going to be at, that's going to be the party. Um hijinks or otherwise what we want to do with this no bed sheets no bed sheets would we would, you're going to get me in trouble what we want to do with this from a national broadcast perspective is we know SEC fans we know state fans and LSU fans um, appreciate college baseball and they want to watch the baseball and they they they're concerned with balls and strikes especially LSU fans right now cuz the the sky's falling for them so to speak but from a national perspective we want to show people what college baseball is in the south and until you get to the super regionals where you know it's win or go home i think this is the best opportunity to do so sports talk mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm richard cross michael borky brian haydad brian scott rippy normally this would be on the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team but today tom hart is in starkville Mississippi State and LSU beginning a three-game series tonight. Major League Baseball opening day will bounce around on a number of, uh, of different topics. Transition, though, from uh, from basketball to baseball, there's not a lot of downtime in between, huh? No, I like it that way, too, because uh, during the game tonight, I'm going to try to focus, and I'll have a game in front of me, and then I'll probably have an SEC game or two to the side of me on my iPad on the hoop side and there will probably be an MLB game going on in the background. So it keeps keeps me occupied. And it's fun to keep track of all this. This crossover season 
is always fun for me because I've found that, especially in this conference, there's a lot of crossover appeal, number one, and there's also lessons that apply from one sport to another. And a lot of times when you're dealing with a coach, he's got his blinders on and he doesn't realize that a different coach in a different sport at a different school is dealing with the same issues he is. We've talked for for the confines of our show a lot about being fortunate because if we lived in Alabama and we taught college baseball, people change the, the station. Yeah. Or if we lived in Georgia, they probably would change the station. But there's such an appetite for it in the state of Mississippi, even with Southern Miss and Hattiesburg, sure. but Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Do you sense that when you're here, whether you're in Starkville or in Oxford for games? Oh, 100%, yeah. Um, and I sensed it back in the day when I was doing CUSA television and going to see Corky Palmer and that those Southern Miss teams um, when they're battling – TCU for conference titles, and I mean that was a decade ago, uh, but I sensed it then. The state has always had a very rich baseball history from the professional level to the college and at level and on down, and you certainly sense it. Um, not to get too deep into it with this answer, but you certainly sense it walking through the new ballpark here on campus. I mean it is amazing. And I was talking to Chris Lamonis about it and about what this job as Mississippi State's head coach represents. Um, and I said, what's the biggest difference for you? Because he came from Indiana, and he was an assistant coach at Louisville before that. And, and baseball's a big deal at Louisville, don't get me wrong. They've been to Omaha a number of times. And his answer was, it's really the fans. Like, the fans made me realize how big a deal it is. He goes, there won't be a day that goes by where there's not a knock on the office door where a handful of fans just want to come in and say hi and let me know how long they've had their rigs or how long they've been season ticket holders or how many games they've been coming to and how many times they've been to Omaha. Uh, so I think that's where it starts. You know what's kind of kind of crazy? We talked to him earlier this week, and he should probably put on a seminar for other coaches that want to get jobs on how to do it because the last two jobs he's gotten, he's inherited teams that were in Omaha the previous year. <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point. Now, I think what's – Missing or what's forgotten about or, or maybe not even understood is as great as this program was between the lines and making it to within one game of the College World Series finals last year, that was obviously, it, it was a program in transition from the Andy Canizero stuff to Gary Henderson to a coaching staff that was just trying to win right now. So when Chris got aboard, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of I's that hadn't been dotted and T's that hadn't been crossed, um, even down to some of the scheduling issues for this year. So they came into the building, and they knew, look at all this talent we have returning. We have an Omaha team returning. But, boy, behind the scenes, there's a lot of work to do. Um, and I think that's nothing against Gary Henderson and that staff. I mean, that that's what they were in charge of. There was no next year for that staff, and they probably – knew it even if they didn't want it to admit it. So it was a matter of winning as much as they could and putting their best foot forward. Um, so as great as it were between the lines, I think what's left unsaid is uh, you know some of the other stuff still needed to be worked on. Visiting with Tom Hart at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Let's press pause just for a moment on the college baseball. Yeah. Um, Major League Baseball opening day. If you're a baseball guy, it feels like a national holiday. I guess traditionalists would say the season doesn't actually begin until Cincinnati takes the field, you know, at 105. Games all over the place. You worked with the Braves for, for several years. You got to be a part of opening day. Is there a memory or something about this particular day that just sticks out in your mind? 
I don't know that there's one specific memory, but it's just the general feeling that you get at the ballpark on this day. Do you get it any other time other than when you get to the postseason? No, no, you really don't. And it's it's a fleeting feeling, really, because it's gone the next day. And we used to joke about it, and, and players and coaches would joke about it. You show up the first day of the season, and everybody is there. Every media entity, um, every fan everybody's there and excited and then day number two they're all gone and it's just the regulars you know so that was really where you knew who was going to be the regular you show up the next day and it's cold and it's rainy and oh here's game two of 162 and that really helped you appreciate what you had the day before um the politicians uh the pomp and circumstance you know the bunting is still up day number two but a lot of those a lot of those bandwagon faces are gone but it's just it's just a feeling that anything's possible. The appreciation I always had that I'm getting paid to cover a game, like the, you know, it's amazing. The stadiums are sold out. Everyone's excited. There's an ace on the hill, um, and you really, it's really hard to capture that fascination and that. It's almost like looking forward to college football Saturday. You know, we have that buildup because there are no other games that you get that excited for unless you have a premier pitching matchup. And those could happen any day of the week, and they could happen in front of 12,000 people in Milwaukee or 45,000 people at Yankee Stadium. It's just too impossible to predict. Yeah, we, you, you look and people talk about national ratings for baseball and how they're different and, and, and how they're below what the NBA has and certainly below what the NFL has. Are, are we missing the point when we look at that? And I ask that because you, you worked with the Braves, but also in Atlanta, in, in a place that's really crazy about its baseball team, yeah. regardless of attendance numbers, which have, have been better the last couple of years in the in the new ballpark. Baseball seems like it's pretty healthy locally. So are we missing the point when we talk about national ratings on TV for baseball compared to local markets? Yeah, 100%. Um, it. It has always been a local sport. I think it will always be a local sport. And that's okay, right? That's f- absolutely. I mean, look at the health of the game. Look at the contracts that have just been signed, right? I mean, ask Mike Trout. Ask, ask Bryce Harper if it's healthy right now. Um, ask the bean counters in every major league off front office. I mean, they are raking in more money than they ever have. They've got different revenue streams and more revenue streams right now, so that's part of it. Um but I think what's unique, and, and while it is very much local, it's how far out does that radiate? You know, how far out do, do Cubs fans live from Chicago? And you're talking about Central Iowa and Points West, Royals fans, um, all the way out in West Kansas, Cardinals fans uh, all across the country, but down in Southern Arkansas, and with Braves fans, I mean that that's right here in Mississippi. You know, I landed. Last night at Golden Triangle, and the first guy in line at the rental car spot wanted to talk to me about the Braves. And then I get to the hotel in Starkville. First guy I see, never met him before, wanted to talk to me about the Braves. Um, So it's not just the city of Atlanta or North Georgia. It's the entire southeast. So I think it's it's way more regional with the programs, with the uh, organizations that were part of Superstations or that had – wide geographic yeah. swaths with less competition. Um, Braves and Cubs come to mind, obviously off the top of my head, and the Cardinals with KMOX. But I saw that every day traveling with the Braves. And the, the most amazing is when we'd get to the West Coast and the fans that would show up in L.A. or Phoenix or San Diego and say, I grew up a Braves fan because of TBS, and I, these are the only games I can come to, and I live in – you know, West Texas, or I live in Hawaii, or I live in Washington, and those fans are there because of the television coverage. 
pretty remarkable stuff. There is a bridge between the Major League Baseball conversation and SEC baseball because you're seeing so many SEC guys that are in the big leagues, and it feels like it's happening faster than ever. Has college baseball gotten to the point where it's doing a better job preparing guys to get to the big leagues faster than maybe even the minor leagues are? In Rob Manfred's own words, the commissioner of baseball said that last June in Omaha. He said for, you know, and, and I saw this firsthand, not just working with the Braves, but 10 years working in the minors, is um, there was always this doubt among professional organizations that colleges could prepare players better than they could. Uh, and there was this arrogance about it. And Manfred said point blank, he said, we've understood things have changed in the last 20 years. The quicker path to the big leagues and the better place for development is major college baseball. Um, And that's not college baseball across the board, but it focuses primarily on the SEC and the ACC schools and some specific Pac-12 and some specific Big 12. And we see that jump. And I think what happens as a result of that is the popularity that these guys have because they're ready to play and they're ready to be immediate impact guys a uh, couple guys that were in the SEC, I think, four years ago, um, have two of the top 20 selling jerseys in all of baseball. It's Alex Bregman and Andrew, Andrew Benatendi. That just doesn't happen typically. If it were 20 years ago, they would still be in the minors four years into their professional career. But they jump up and they're ready to contribute. Fun conversation with Tom Hart from ESPN and the SEC Network. Mississippi State and LSU tonight at Duty Noble Field. You can catch that game on ESPNU. First pitch at 6 o'clock when we finish up here on Sports Talk Mississippi. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.